you have a Bible, let's look together this morning at Psalm 3. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there. Psalms is the book right in the middle of the Bible. We're at the beginning of it. It should also be printed on the screen behind me. As you know, we're going to be looking at the Psalms for the next number of weeks until Todd um, begins to preach on the 14th of uh, December. I'm going to be taking some time off, and so we're looking at the kingship of Christ over the next number of weeks. So today we're in Psalm chapter 3. Um, as I'm about to read this, remember this is God's word to you. It's God's word for you. You might not know why you're here this morning and might not understand what in the world's going on, but God has a purpose, and he thinks all of us need to hear this message. So let's give our attention to his word. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. Let's pray together. The Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word, its truth. Lord Jesus, you have prayed thousands of years ago that we would be changed and transformed continually by this word, your word, because it is true. So we ask that you would cause the longings of our hearts to be set free from the love of money, to be set free from the praise of man. We ask that the longings of our heart would be set free from the anxiety that so often holds us captive, that we would be set free from the longing to care about what others think of us all of the time, and that you would satisfy those longings by pointing us to your Son, our Savior, our Lord, our Comforter, our Friend. We pray in his name, Jesus, we pray in your name, because we love you, and we're learning to love you more. Amen. As we look at Psalm 3 this morning, it's quite interesting that this is one of those psalms that has a, a historical background written for us at the top. You see it says right there before verse 1, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. In other words, the introduction of this psalm is that we understand all the background that went into writing this psalm. But just in case you didn't do your homework, just in case you didn't go back and read all the background information here, we need to spend a few moments thinking about what led to the writing of this psalm. Even if you've never heard of the name of David before and don't know anything about his position in the Bible, let's just think for a moment about a sketch of his life, just to get the juices flowing, prime the pump on who David is. Remember that David was the youngest of eight sons. Remember that David 
was a man who was anointed by God to become king. Ultimately, that happened. As a matter of fact, David became king at a very young age. He was around 30 when he became king. Wouldn't you like to be king when you were 30 or when you get to be 30? David became king. Imagine that, a young man, king over God's people. Well, before David became king and even after David became king, he had many victories. He had victories where he defeated animals that were a lot larger and stronger than he was. He had victories over people that no one else wanted to to go into battle against. David was the one that would go. After David became king, he was so successful in his military explorations that the Bible actually says that the people had rest. Isn't that amazing? Could you imagine a king? Could you imagine a political leader that enabled you to have rest? We live in times in which it's just, did my side win or not? Don't we? There's not a whole lot of rest after elections are over, except for those who were engaged in expending all their energies trying to run. David was a ruler in which everyone, those on one side or the other, they could say that they found rest. Amazing. Matter of fact, David was a handsome man. David had many wives. David had many sons. David had opportunities to become king before he was 30. David had opportunities to take the throne early, if you will, but he didn't. He didn't cash in on those opportunities. He was patient. He waited. He was not going to exert himself in some type of sinful way in order to get to become king before it was time. Therefore, people thought of him as a man of integrity, a man with tremendous military prowess, a man who was handsome, a man that was good-looking. We even find in the scriptures, and this is pushing the envelope a little bit, perhaps for some of you, David liked to dance, sometimes without any clothes on, in front of a lot of people. Absalom was one of David's sons. Absalom is described in the Bible as an incredibly handsome man. As a matter of fact, it says that Absalom actually only cut his hair once a year. He must have been a hair guy, you know. Some of you wish that you had more hair. Some of you wish you had less. I don't know. Some of you wish your hair was different. Well, Absalom was that guy that had beautiful hair. He only cut it once a year so he could grow out and it would get really heavy and thick. Yeah. He was a guy who was well thought of by many. But as time went on, Absalom decided that he was going to try, now get this, he was going to try to take the kingdom from his father. Absalom went through some very difficult life experiences in which he acted in ways that are not appropriate at all. He was kind of exiled for a little while. He wasn't allowed to come in to the gates of Jerusalem for a period of time. But here's what Absalom decided to do. Absalom decided, I'm going to go to the entrance of the city gate because many people would come into the city not just for economic purposes and trade and all that, but oftentimes people would come into the city because they wanted to meet with David, the king, or they wanted to meet with his advisors because they needed help. So Absalom decided that he was going to sit right outside the entrance of the city. 
And as people would come into the city, he would say, hey, how are you doing? My name's Absalom. What are you here for? What's your plan in going into the city? And they would say, we need some help. And he would say, well, let me help you. I'm a son of the king. And he would begin to advise them. And as people would come to the city after a number of months and after a number of years, Absalom had talked to a lot of people. And the scripture says that Absalom actually stole the hearts of the people. You see, as Absalom would advise and help people, he would say, where are you from? Oh, you're from out there. Wouldn't it be nice if you had your own counselor out there where you live? Wouldn't it be nice if you had someone that ruled over you who cared and would, who would go and visit you wherever you live so you wouldn't always have to come into the city. And over a period of time, people started thinking, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And they started liking Absalom. He was stealing their hearts. And after a period of time, he had won over so many people. The masses desired Absalom to be king in place of David to such a degree. Now, could you imagine that as a father, as a king? To have one of your own children try to take away from you your job? Even deeper than that, could you imagine one of your own turning everyone you know against you? It's really not that far from our experience, is it? You've had those that you have loved and those that have said they loved you very much. You've had them try to turn people against you. Surely you have. You live in a fallen world, right? I mean, you're breathing. Looks like it. You know what it's like to have someone that you love turn on you. It's exactly what happened here. Absalom turned on David and he turned the people against David. To such an extent that David thought, I need to get out of town. I need to run. That's why it says, a psalm of David when he fled. Who is he fleeing from? Absalom. Who is Absalom? His son. What had his son done? His son had turned the hearts of the people away from David and to himself. He had turned the hearts of the people to Absalom. He had turned them to him, to who he was and what he wanted to do. You see, David was hanging his head. David's head was just hanging down. David had a hanging head. It was so pointed, so deep, there was such turmoil that the text even tells you in verse 2 that many people were saying there is no hope for David, that God should not have mercy on David, God should not save David, God should not look upon David with any favor at all. It's not just that David felt the sense of a, a son who had turned on him. It's not just that he was losing percentage points in popularity. It was that everyone was saying, God should not have mercy on him. God should not have mercy on David. His head was hanging so low, not because David was determined, not expressing David's grit, but his head was hanging so low because he was full of fear. David was full of dejection. David was full of shame. David was full of despair. David felt a sense of comprehensive defeat. Have you been there? Surely you know what it's like to have a sense of, you know, shame every now and then. Surely you know what it's like to 
be in despair, at least for a period of time or even a season of your life? Surely you know what it's like when people start talking about you behind your back. Surely you know what it's like when someone deceives other people about you and that leaves you to the point where you don't know what in the world to do. You just want to run. You want to flee. You want to get away. Because all you ever hear from everybody is how bad of a person you are and God himself shouldn't have mercy on you. Have you been there? It's exactly where David was. And his head was hanging low because of that despair, because of that shame, because everywhere he went, comprehensively, everything about his life just seemed like utter defeat and failure. And if you're not willing to engage at that point emotionally and experientially in your life, this psalm won't mean that much to you. If you want to just live on the surface and think about your routine and what's going on, this psalm is not going to mean that much to you. But if you're willing to see how it goes deep in your life, this psalm has a whole lot to say to us. As a matter of fact, I hope that you will be bombarded with the rest of this psalm. Overwhelmed. I hope that you think, you know what, Dave usually simplifies things, but today he just gave too much. That's what I hope you feel. Look at verse 3, how it begins. Everyone is saying at the end of verse 2 that God should not save this man. He should not have mercy on this man. And then verse 3 begins with a contrast, but. Something was going on. And that means there's hope for you and there's hope for me. In moments of despair, in moments of shame, in moments in which you feel like you are a comprehensive failure, that everything around you, that everyone in your life, all you hear is defeat, defeat, defeat. Something is going on. You see, the gospel begins to apply to our lives everywhere. And when that begins to happen, we begin to realize that there's hope in the midst of struggle. Something is going on, but this is what I know in my life, but this is what I also know. You see, in looking at verses 3 and following, what you'll find is not only a clearer expression of David being in despair and David, his head being down, you not only find the reason why all that was going on, you also get a clear explanation of what God is for David, who God is for you, who God is for me in the middle of those moments where we feel despair. Because what started to happen is the gospel started to take root. The gospel was going deep. The message of Christianity is for our life experiences, and we need it all of the time. Every moment and every situation of every day, we need the message of Christianity. We need the gospel. And it begins because the gospel begins to turn us and change us. Not so we ignore our life experiences, not so we ignore the hardships, not so we ignore the shame. So we know how to deal with it. David begins by saying, but you, O God, are a shield about me. Isn't that wonderful? David doesn't say here, you are a shield to me. You know, sometimes when we think of battling and warfare, at least in the ancient world, we think about having a sword on, I mean, excuse me, having a shield on our arm, right? We have a shield on one arm and we perhaps have our sword on the other. And we begin to to fight back blows with one hand and we deliver them with the other, right? You get what I'm saying? 
Well, God doesn't say here that he's a shield to David. You know, it's not that David has this, for those of you that love comic books and you young people, David isn't saying that this sword here is made of vibranium and adamantium. You know, pull out your nerd card. You know what I'm talking about. David is saying that this shield is about me. It encompasses me. It covers everything about me. You see, it's not just when you think about warfare that at times we need a shield on one end and we fight back with the other. That's absolutely true. But that's not what's going on here. The image in our mind it should be this. That we are going into battle and we are going into a place in which we are facing another town or city that is, that is surrounded by walls. And we have got to attack. And those behind the walls, those in the city can see us coming. And so maybe they, they, they use their bow and fire out fiery arrows and they just shoot them into the air. Or maybe they get like tar or oil really hot and pour it down over the edge of the wall as you're trying to climb up. You get the image in your mind. This shield is one that covers us. This shield is one in which we use when we're following a leader and we are going into the battle. When we are moving forward in life. We're not just standing stationary. We're not just deflecting. We're not just adding a blow in when we can. This is when we are following a leader who is going into battle. You see, the truth is that God, in his grace and in his goodness, God, because of the gospel, doesn't keep us from battle. God puts us in battle. God doesn't love us so that he can keep bad things from happening. God loves us in and through the bad things of life. You see, when you get down and when, you have full of, when you're full of shame and despair and you think everybody's against you, you don't want to move forward. I don't want to move forward. I want to stay still and possibly retreat. David is saying, in the midst of all this, you are a shield about me because I'm following you, God. I'm following you. And in our lives, what the gospel means is that we follow God every day. What it means is that we follow him into hardship. What it means is that we follow him into battle. What it means is that he is with us in enduring the battle, the hardship, what brings us despair and loneliness and frustration. David is saying, I want to go back. I want to run. I want to run away. I want to retreat. But you, God, are pressing me forward. You are with me so that I keep going forward. I can't find a shield anywhere else. There's no one else who's going to stand up for me. There's no one else who's going to defend me. But you, God, you will. And I'll follow you into the battle. You see, we must live our lives by faith. When we go through very difficult things in our lives, we need to believe as we're going through hard things. We need to obey as we're going through hard things, we need to receive God's word and continue to move forward in obedience. And in other words, our faith needs to be living. And we need to know that God is surrounding us and we are following him into the hardness of our lives, into the difficulty of our circumstances.
because God is our shield about us. But he's not just the shield, right? Look what he goes on to say. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. He also says, you are my glory. See, in the Bible, this idea of glory, it conveys the imagery of weightiness or something that's heavy, something that's thick, something that's substantive, something that is important. And you see, all of us try to find glory, all of us try to find meaning, all of us try to find substance to our lives in all kinds of ways. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that David himself has lived trying to find worthiness and trying to find meaningfulness and trying to find substance in his life in all the wrong places. And they just happen to be the places that we try to find all those things as well. You see, David perhaps thought to himself, well, here's my clean moral record. I am a wonderful person. I have lived an upright life. I have been a good person. I've done the right things. I've said the right things. I go to the right things. I wear the right clothes. I know the right people. But do you realize what was enabling Absalom to turn God's people against David? If you go back in 2 Samuel, you can read this for yourself this week if you would like or this afternoon. You can read chapters 15 and 16 that lay out for you what Absalom did to steal the hearts of God's people. Right before that, right before that in chapter 11 and 12 and following is, is what David did. David thought that he could find his glory, his substance, his weightiness in his life by his clean moral record. The problem was is that he slept with another man's wife. Here I am. I've been a good moral person. Wrong. David slept with another man's wife. Didn't stop there, though, did it? He was an accessory to murder. The woman that he slept with, he arranged it so that her husband would be killed. David could try to find substance and, and meaning in his life and purpose by being a king. I mean, after all, he became king at age 30. That's a pretty impressive career track. I'm the king, and people respected him. People wanted him to be king. They loved him more than they did his predecessor, Saul. They praised him for his military prowess. Guess what? It's all gone. He didn't have a moral record anymore. He lost all of his integrity. He thought that maybe since I have this high-powered job, people will still respect me. It's gone. At one time, he had the respect of the people. It's gone. He thought to himself, well, maybe if they don't respect me, maybe they'll at least approve of me. They didn't. This is how we live as well. Because of sin, we want to find meaning. We want to find purpose. We want to make our lives weighty. We want to make our lives substantive by our positions, by who we are, who we know, who respects us, who loves us. By living a good moral life where we have just everybody thinks we are someone of integrity. David did that too and it was all gone. He had tried to find his glory there. 
But now he was at the point where he was running away, full of despair, and he had to understand the gospel message is not just that God is my shield about me. It's that God is also my glory. That it's only in God that I find meaning and hope. It's only in God that my life is worth something meaningful. It's only in God that my life has purpose. It's only in God that the fact that I'm a king makes sense. It's only in God that my moral record has any value. It's only in God that it matters if people approve me or do not approve of me. It's only what God says. David had lost all of it. And here he is now turning back to God saying, but you, God, are my glory. He's reminding us that he had to turn from his sin. He had to acknowledge that he was a sinner. He had to acknowledge that he had really messed up. He goes on to say even more that God is even the lifter of his head. You see, all this was going on in David's life and his head was just hanging down. And here he identifies God as the one that lifts up his head. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just that God is a shield about him. It's not just that he only finds glory in God and what God is and what God has done. It's that he actually knows that God lifts up his head, which says incredible things about the living God. And I hope you've experienced these, and I hope you'll continue to experience these. I hope that you will find these things to be true. You see, in order for God to lift up David's head, in order for God to lift up your head, you have to realize that God has to take notice of you. He has to recognize where you are and what you're doing. God doesn't just take notice of who you are. He actually reaches out to you. And he doesn't just reach out. He reaches down. He comes to find you in the low spots, in the despair, in the state where you're full of shame. He reaches down. And not only does he reach down, but he encourages. He reminds you of his love. He gives you support. He gives you strength. He even restores you. David was so down that he would know that only God could lift his head. On top of that, David says, you listen to me from your holy hill. You see, that's the place where God's king rules, not David. He ruled, but he was a broken ruler. He was a failed ruler. But you see, the prophecy was true. The king was coming. The true king, the real king, the king that David was just a shadow of. David was a sinful king, or king but the real king was coming who wasn't sinful. And it was that place on the holy hill where the king would rule and where the king was also pictured because it was there where all the sacrifices were made. You see, David says, you hear me from your holy hill because it's there on the holy hill that the sacrifice is made so that I could be forgiven, so that I could have a standing before you. It's there from your holy hill that your king rules, and he rules by being a servant. He rules by giving up his own life. He rules by advancing his kingdom with truth, by advancing his kingdom with love. That's how our king rules. And I know from your holy hill that you hear me because there's someone who would be a substitute for me. 
There's someone who would die in my place for all of my failures and for putting all of my value and worth in those other things other than you. But you don't just hear me. He even has rest. Look at verse 5. I lay down and slept. Have you ever been in such despair? Have you ever been so frustrated that you couldn't even sleep? Have you ever been so full of anxiety that you couldn't sleep? Have you also known those times where you weren't expecting to sleep because you were so full of anxiety that all of a sudden God just gave you sleep? David says, I was able to rest. And that wasn't just physically, for sure. It was also he could rest in his heart. His heart could find rest in who God was and who God is for him. He even says, salvation comes from you. Look at verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? David is saying, grace comes from you, Lord. Mercy comes from you. You have looked on my situation where I've really messed up and Absalom is turning everybody against me. And yet you are gracious with me. You are merciful to me. You have initiated all of this. But at the end of the day, it's not my will that made everything right. It was your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercy and your grace. It was you, O Lord, not my will, not my merit. It was you that shows mercy. And then he even adds, may your blessing be upon your people at the end of verse 8. You see, God's blessing is far more than just making you healthy. Even though at times, not all the time, but at times it includes that. God's blessing is far more than just giving you some victories in your life, although that happens. God's blessing is to remind us over and over again that he is at work. It is knowing that we are a blessed people. It is knowing that every day God is at work in my life. It is knowing that no matter the circumstance, no matter the events, no matter what's going on, that God is at work to change me and to make me more and more into the image of his own son. It means that God is not leaving me alone. It means that God is continuing to pour out his grace and pour out his favor. He is continuing to change me. Every week we end our service with a benediction. You might notice that in the bulletin. You might wonder what that is. It's a blessing of God. It's the same thing that David's praying for here. You see, to have Christ means that you live a benediction-defined life. It means that the way that God looks at you is he looks at you as someone that he's going to bless and change and grow because of what Christ has done. If you'll have Christ and if you'll, if you'll take the gospel and bring it into your life experience and understand how it changes everything, you will know more and more that you are a benediction-defined people. It's how God looks at you. When David says, may your blessing be upon your people, O God, he's saying, remind them that your blessing is upon them. Remind them that you will be gracious to them. Remind me that you'll be gracious to me. Remind us that you will bring us your peace. Remind us that you're at work. Remind us that you are active in the world and active in our lives and active through the circumstances of our lives, no matter how difficult they are. Well, 
Then we end with verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. You might have thought we would have skipped this. Maybe you want me to. This is quite bizarre in some ways, isn't it? Can you imagine? Can you imagine this verse? Can you think about it? David is praying against his son and others. You get that? This whole thing is a prayer where David's turning and changing and thinking and wrestling and applying the gospel in his own life. Here he is praying against his own son. He's not trying to take personal revenge. He's giving it all to God. He's saying, this is my life experience, and God, this is what you do. God, here it is. You take it. Could you pray this? Could you pray this verse for someone in your own family? It's heart-wrenching, isn't it? It's gut-wrenching. It's amazing to think about this. He's praying that God would defeat his own son. That's what he's praying. And beloved, this is a far better prayer than David could have ever imagined. Because God himself answers this prayer. God himself answers this prayer. God chose to put his son in this position. God chose his son and put his son in this position for us so that we would have salvation and blessing. Christ was defeated. Christ was beaten. Christ was struck. Remember that cheek that we looked at last week in verse 2 that we get to, to kiss? Kiss the son, kiss the cheek. We get to kiss the cheek that was bloodstained and beaten and slapped and spit upon. God put his own son here. God put his own son in this position so that Christ would become God's enemy, so that Christ would be treated as a sinner, so that Christ would be crushed, so that you can know God as a shield about you, so that you can know God in Christ as your only glory, so that you can know God through Christ as the one that lifts up your head, so that you can know God through Christ as the one that answers your prayers because he's listening, so that you can know God's blessing and rest physically and spiritually, so that you can know that salvation is from him, so that you can know that you live a benediction-defined life because of who Christ is. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for giving us the Psalms. They're very deep, they're very complex, and they are very, very rich. Lord, I pray that, that you would enable us here today, as always, really, that you enable all of us to hear a better message than the one that I preach. And that you will, under, you will help us to understand that apart from applying the gospel in our lives and having your truth penetrate our own experiences and in the, in the, in the circumstances of our lives, that we will wander around aimlessly 
And Lord, humble us that this prayer that David would make would really show us what you have done to your son so that we would have a shield about us, so that we would have glory, so that we, our lives would mean something. There would be weight and substantive nature to our lives so that we would know that you lift us up, so that we would know that you hear our prayer, so that we would have rest, so that we would know your blessings, so that we would proclaim this week to everyone through our lives and with our words that you are God of grace and mercy. Help us, Lord, to take your word, take your gospel seriously. Change us. Start with me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.